Jesus Christ is awesome. And those are two sisters up here. Y'all know that, right? Chantel and Carissa, two sisters. God. Man, Jesus Christ, he's awesome. He's awesome. He changed my life. He's awesome because he is who he said he is. He's the son of God, the Messiah, who died on the cross for the sins of the world. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life because he was the son of God. He wasn't just a man starting some new religion. He was who he said he was, and, and he died on the cross, shed his blood for my sins, and paid the price for your sins, and he rose from the dead, proven he is who he said he is. God with us, Emmanuel. And the Bible says when you and I repent of our sins and come clean and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner, just like your word says. God says he will forgive us. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the leader of our life, the forgiver of our sins, our Lord and Savior. The Bible says the Spirit of God comes to be a part of our life and indwells us, and we're now spiritually born again. We're forgiven. We're children of God. You know, he's, he's our Father, and heaven's our eternal home. I mean, that's the gospel. That's the good news. I'm glad somebody loved me enough to tell me that a long time ago. And I want to love people enough to tell them the same thing, the greatest love story in the world. We started a new series, was it a week ago, actually. We're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. And, and God led me to this book. We, we spent a whole year almost on the book of Matthew. Now we're in 1 Corinthians. And, I, and God led me to this book for a bunch of reasons. This book is a great book. And it, it's very, you know, it was written almost 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Corinth. And it was written about 53, 57 A.D., and yet it's so contemporary, it's so relevant. As you read this, he's writing to a church that's having all kinds of issues. And it's like things never change because human nature doesn't change. You know, there's division in the church. There's an elevation of human wisdom over God's wisdom. There's sexual immorality happening right in the church. Uh, there's tolerance of sin in the church. There's chaos. There's disorder. They're trying to figure out the spiritual gifts, tongue speaking, all that stuff. Where does all that have its place? I mean, that's what this is dealing with. And Paul writes this letter to this church to deal with that. The sins of the culture have become the sins of the church. That's how it was almost 2,000 years ago. That's how it is today. This letter also shows the power of the gospel to change lives. Corinth, the city of Corinth, is one of the most wicked cities of its time in the Roman Empire. Very materialistic, very immoral. And if Jesus Christ, the gospel, can change lives in that environment, see, that gives me hope. It gives me hope. He can surely change lives in any environment, in any one. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God guided him what to write. He wrote this letter to deal with the disorder in the church. He, he wrote it to deal with the difficulties that they were having and running the church, dealing with leadership. He, he wrote it to deal with doctrinal issues in the church, specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I, I believe the reason God led me to teach through this book here on Sunday morning is because our mission and our message is so urgent. What a great place to have a church on this corner in this town. The hurting, lost world is coming to our town every single day. And it's so urgent. Our message is so urgent. We got to get out there. We got to be the church, not just come to church. I'm glad you're here. And this is a great thing. And God tells us to worship together like this. But we got to scatter also. We, not, we just can't gather. We got to scatter in our community and around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before we can be as effective as we can be in our community with the message of Jesus Christ, I believe we got to get our own house in order. I got to get my own house in order. Our church has got to get its own house in order. And so do you. You know, it takes away our effectiveness when we're trying to tell our friends and people we work with and people we go to school with about how Jesus Christ can change their life and help their marriage and this and that. 
And yet they see we're a complete mess ourselves. And they start thinking, wait a minute, if the gospel is so powerful, how come it's not even impacting you? You're no different than me. I don't need what you got because what you got is not helping you. And so I believe we got to deal with that. We got to tidy up things in the house of God. And the word tidy comes from, it means to clean up. It means to focus. It means to get organized. It means to get orderly. It means to get acceptable, uncluttered. And, and I shared this last Sunday morning, but I, I was sharing with my wife how I felt led to talk about 1 Corinthians just to clean up our own house, our own church, my own life. And she goes, hey, there's a show out there called Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. I never heard of it on Netflix. Of course, I had to watch it. And it's this sweet lady from, I think, Japan, doesn't speak any English. I, I shared this last week, but she comes into homes, not hoarder homes, just normal homes, and comes in and says, tries to help them get rid of the clutter, to tidy up their clothes and all that kind of stuff and find joy in their life. And her goal is to get people to un tidy up their life, you know, and, and find joy. And so because of that show and because of my wife, my life has changed forever. You know, it's changed forever. And I, I, shared that, I shared that last week. I shared last week. Uh, if you weren't here last week, that's your own fault. You missed it, all right? But I shared some video of how I cleaned up my closet. I did. I want to please my wife. One of her love languages is service. So, you know, when I can do service and help around the house and help clean up and wash dishes, that's me speaking love to her. All right? So I cleaned out my closet, piled my clothes on the, on the bed, and I had the pictures of that, and they went sky high. And then you only put back, she says, only put back in your closet what sparks joy in your life, you know? And so I did that, and I brought the bags here on stage. I had three, I mean, the big old giant construction garbage bags on th three of them that were clothes of mine just from my closet, took to the ministry center. I did on Monday. So I just shared that, and I, I thought, you know, my closet was very empty, and I, and I thought that my life was, you know, okay, I was over. I did that, and I'm fine. She came to me this week and said, hey, now you did that, what about your T-shirt drawers? I said, what are you talking about? You know, I just ball those things up and throw them in the drawer, you know? She goes, no, you know, this lady Marie, she talks about how you gotta take your shirts out and you gotta fold them and file them. You fold them and file them. I'm saying, that's crazy. But my, love, my wife's love language is service. She asked me, so I did my shirt drawer. I got a picture, this is just a picture. That's just my, that's my drawer. I, had two, I just had two drawers with my shirts and my T-shirts just throw them in there. But according to Marie, I had to take them out, you know, and, and the ones that kept joy, I kept, you know, and then I had to fold them. I couldn't just fold them like you normally fold them. You had to fold them and file them. Here's, here's what I did, here's the second, here's the finished product. See how they're filed? Yeah. And, they, and so I got, I got two drawers into one, so one drawer's completely empty, right? And, and my wife's sitting there saying, hey, I can, get, can I get a video of you folding? Because she had to teach me how to fold them. And I, I said, can I get a video of you doing that? I said, absolutely not. No way, my life will be ruined. I said, no. So I didn't let her take a video, but that's, that, so I'm thinking about that. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me this week, wait a minute, I haven't been seeing her do a whole lot of that. <laughs> and it's true. And so my closet's got all this room in it and my drawer, now there's an empty drawer. And then my wife says, hey, since you got all that space, can I start putting my clothes in your space? And then I realized, man, she was wise. She got me. She was wise. She had me clean up my space to give her more space. That's wisdom. You know, that's wisdom. She had wisdom. She got me there. You know, the, this lady, you know, because of that tidying up, you know, I'm tidying up around the house. We need to hide, tidy up in God's house. We really do. And we're going to tidy up with the Apostle Paul. You know, he's the one that wrote this letter. And, and, and talk about, you know, wisdom. Wisdom to help us be more effective and efficient. And God's wisdom is much more efficient and affected than human wisdom. And we're gonna see that today. 
When we look at first, you know, first Corinthians, we see that Paul, you know, he talked about division in the church and we talked about that last week. Well, now all of a sudden when we left off is chapter one, verse 18, Paul suddenly changes subjects for the, for the rest of that chapter and also chapter two. And you think maybe, you know, he, he, he's been talking about division and now all of a sudden he suddenly changes what he's talking about and starts talking about the foolishness of the cross but he didn't really change subjects. At first we think he did, but he didn't because in chapter three, he goes back to talking about division in the church. And we're gonna deal with that too again next week. But I, I believe Paul is drawing attention to the chief, the, the main reason of conflict in the church. We're losing sight of what's important. We're arguing and fighting about things that are not important. And we're losing sight of what is important. We're Christians, we're followers of Christ. Jesus Christ is our focus. And if we remember that it's Jesus Christ that changes lives, not our ideas, not our arguments, not our programs, then we'll spend more time pointing people to Jesus Christ and less time arguing with people. And so church, we gotta tidy up. We're gonna tidy up what we believe. We gotta tidy up our beliefs. You gotta tidy up your beliefs because your beliefs matter. And, and, and we're gonna see that here in 1 Corinthians 1. So uh, if you're able, would you please stand with me out of reverence and honor for God's holy word. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demanded miraculous signs. Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You may be seated. And it goes on and on talking about wisdom and human wisdom and God's wisdom. Then chapter two, we're gonna cover chapter two too because it talks about the same stuff, human wisdom, God's wisdom, and Jesus Christ. And so we see here how we gotta tidy up our beliefs. Paul shows us right off the bat that there's two different ways of viewing the world, two different ways of viewing the gospel. And one group sees the cross, what Jesus Christ did on the cross as foolishness. We see that in verse 18. Another group sees what Christ did on the cross as the power of God. Paul just described one of the biggest challenges we face in our society today. There's two different worldviews. People look at things differently. There's two different worldviews. And when I say worldview, I mean, it's the beliefs that you believe, you know, your beliefs that you build your life on. Your worldview is the beliefs that you build your life on. It's how you view everything in life, how you view people, how you view God, how you view values, morals, relationships. Your worldview is a, a set of pre presumptions you know, that you assume that could be true or not true at all, but you use those views, those thoughts to make up your view of the world. You know, it's the lens through which you see the view of the world. And, and we see right here, there's really two of them. There's, there's human wisdom, which is also called secular worldview, which basically sees the world without God. You know, there was no God, poof, here we are, by accident, by uh, over billions of years, by chance, poof, here we are and they reject absolute truth. There is no God, so there is no absolute truth. That, that's human wisdom, secular worldview. And then there's God's wisdom. 
That's a biblical worldview or a God-centered worldview. This belief believes that there is a creator, there is a designer, God, who created the world. We mess things up. Jesus came to rescue us, you know, and, and God has set up absolute truth. He's absolute and what he says is true. Those are the two main worldviews. And it does matter what you believe because your beliefs affect your behavior. In fact, if you wanna change behavior, you gotta change the way a person believes. Faulty beliefs could cause all kinds of problems. Man, look at our society. One big example of that. God expects us to know what we believe and why we believe it so we can share it with others. So it's important to tidy up our beliefs and know why, what we believe and why. And so in this section here, chapter one and, and chapter two, I put three main sections I saw here dealing with wisdom. It all deals with wisdom. There's human wisdom, there's God's wisdom, and then we see everything's pointing to Jesus and it says Jesus is God's wisdom. Jesus is God's wisdom. So first we see human wisdom. Uh, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. People who don't believe in God think Christ and what he did is foolish. And then if, once you read, and I want you to read chapter two when you go home, read the rest of this, uh, chapter one and chapter two, but chapter two says, gives us the reason why because the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God they are foolishness to him he can't understand them he's not a child of God he doesn't listen to God he doesn't understand what God's trying to say human wisdom and, and, and human wisdom here's some of the most popular worldviews from human wisdom because even from human wisdom there's kind of different ways people look at the world there's materialism worldview the one that that's that that means the one with the most toys win some people believe that Success is getting a bunch of stuff in life. There's individualism. I gotta think of me first. That's their view among human wisdom. Hedonism, their view is this. I'm just gonna do whatever makes me feel good. We see pragmatism. That's just, hey, whatever works for me is what I'm gonna do. Whatever works for you is fine for you. Naturalism, that's the person that believes God doesn't exist at all or even matter. Humanism is another way people view you know, their human wisdom is that you're your own God. So you call the shots, you're a self-made man and woman, you, you make it happen just on your own. And that's, that's some views of human wisdom. And, and there's two common myths about what you believe. There's that sincerity myth that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. We hear that a lot and that's so crazy. No, I, mean, I know a lot of people who are insincere about what they believe, but they are sincerely wrong. You can be sincere and sincerely wrong. And a lot of people are that way. And then there's that situational myth where you, you say, well, it really all depends on the circumstance. I mean, you can believe this way in this circumstance and you can believe the exact opposite in this circumstance. That's not true. If it's truth, truth never changes. Man, truth is truth. But I love how Paul deals with this. He talks about to, to, to the one who doesn't believe, who's perishing, the cross is foolish. And then he goes on in verse 20 and says, okay, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher? What he's saying is, okay, you guys think you're so smart, you know so much, you're philosophers, you're scholars. Where has that gotten you? And that was written almost 2,000 years ago. You know, I look at our world, I say, where has human intelligence and wisdom got us today? Human wisdom hasn't solved the problems of poverty in our world, has not solved the problem of hatred, of prejudice, of greed. Man, human wisdom has, you know, we're still more selfish. There's wars, more wars. There's still more crime. I mean, human wisdom, you know, we're, we might be more educated today, but we're not more moral. We're actually more immoral. And man, I, I just look around the world and I know it, bre it breaks my heart. It breaks the heart of God. 
And we think we're so smart and we've come so far. I mean, the last couple of weeks, you know, the Productive Health Act, Act passed in New York City. And it wasn't the only city. There's seven other st- I mean, states. There's seven other states that had the same law, you know, and, and New York's one of them now. There's seven states in our country that allow for abortion on demand through all nine months, all nine months of pregnancy. There's only seven countries that do that. We're one of them. China's another one. So is North Korea. That's who we're grouped with. And they did a poll in 2018 among the American people. 81% of Americans, 81% of Americans are opposed to third trimester abortions. You know? And I know I gotta be careful of what I say. I know there's young people and children here, but 81% of Americans are opposed to, to babies' lives being taken in that third trimester. And yet, New York City, when that law passed, I watched it, it passed with thunderous applause. And, and I'm thinking, are people actually applauding the slaughtering of children? That's what I saw. That's human wisdom right there, right? I know it's under the excuse of women's reproductive rights. And I get it. I've talked to many women over the years. We have a pregnancy center here. Unplanned pregnancy, unwanted, you know, pressured. I, I get all that. feel very sorry, very compassionate for women who are like that. You know, and, and I say to those situations, it's difficult no matter what you choose, but an unplanned, unwanted pregnancy, you know what? There's adoption out there. There's adoption out there. What about the baby's rights? And, and I've talked with many women through our church. And other, you cannot harm the baby without harming the mom. And we see that. That's why our pregnancy center, center has a ministry to help women who deal with you know, uh, the abortion issues mentally and emotionally. I'm talking about 10, 20, 30 years after they've had it. You can't harm that baby without harming the mother. And th- so I'm watching that. And then in Virginia, I see another lawmaker file a bill that would even allow abortion during a woman's delivery. And then the governor explains that law. And he says, that, yeah, that if a woman and a doctor, you know, a woman delivers the baby, that he believes according to this law that a woman could, and the doctor could still make that decision after the baby's born to take the baby's life. And I'm thinking, you gotta be kidding me. This is where human wisdom has gotten us in this country. And on the same day that that lady, that lawmaker filed that bill, she filed another bill on the same day. And I have the numbers of them here, if you wanna know. And it's, she filed another bill on the same day that she filed that bill to let a mother decide even after birth to take her baby's life. That we have got to stop targeting certain types of caterpillars called the canker worm by putting certain pesticides on them. She, she, she filed a bill on the same day that she filed the bill to say a woman should be able to take her baby's life even after birth that we gotta stop killing these certain worms with certain pesticides. Human wisdom, right there, on display. Save the worm, but destroy a full-term baby. That's where we have gotten. And we have lost our minds. We have lost our minds. We have no sense whatsoever. Our conscience has been seared. We have created a culture of death when human life is devalued, you know what we see? Holocaust, we see slavery, we see sex trafficking, and we see abortion. And that's what we have now, a culture of death. God help us when we ignore our calling to confront evil. We can no longer remain silent when silent screams go unheard. We're to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. We're to stand up and speak out. And all life is precious. That's what the word of God teaches us. 
Medical science says it too. You know, we, we need to fight for it. From the formation of that child's first tiny cell to life's final breath, all life has dignity and value because each, each and every one of us is made in the image of God. So what do we do about this stuff? There's stuff we gotta do. First, you gotta educate yourself on the facts. Man, you, you, depending on what TV show and news show you watch, you're gonna hear all kinds of slants and this and that. No, educate yourself on the facts. Make your views known to your politicians. Make your views known to the media. Don't like the laws, change the lawmakers. You know what? Explore and promote alternatives to abortion, which is adoption. It, it's a loving choice. I know that's difficult too, but there's, there's more people waiting to adopt children in this country than there are babies to adopt. So it makes common sense, but we lost common sense, haven't we, in this country? It makes common sense. Unwanted pregnancies, I understand that, difficult situations. There's couples that have been waiting and can't have babies that want to adopt, you know? It just, it just seems to be a, a perfect solution. Volunteer and support pro-life ministries like our pregnancy center and others, and always be loving, always be sensitive, always be supportive. Barna did a study here in America, Barna's a research group, and they said America's problems are directly attributed he directly attributed America's problems to an absence of a biblical worldview. The study went on to say that the primary reason people don't act like Jesus is because they don't think like Jesus. We don't have the mind of Christ. We're human intelligence, human wisdom. And you know what human wisdom has cost us in this country? It's cost some of our biggest problems. Worthlessness, here's some of them I just listed. People feel worthless, no creator, no purpose to your life. You just evolved. There's no reason for you being here. You know, if you feel worthless, powerlessness, you know, you don't, you don't have no power. You feel like, you know, you know things are not good and, you, and all these addictions, addictions are up more than ever before, even in the church. We talked about that with men yesterday and had prayer about that. Pornography addictions and, and food addictions and, you know, just alcohol and drugs addiction. And so men and women feel like we're just powerless. So much addiction. You know what you should do that's good, but you can't do it. Loneliness is on the rise among men and women. You feel, just, you feel disconnected from God, from family, from people. A lot of people are lonely. A lot of men are lonely. Aimlessness, you don't know your purpose because you just evolved here from, boof, here you are over billions of years. You don't know your purpose. You're just drifting. You're not living. You're just existing. And there's a restlessness too among people. They're anxious. They're worried in their heart. They know there's gotta be more. They're afraid to die. They don't have a clue where they're gonna go. It's afraid of the future. There's restlessness. That's what human wisdom has got us today. That's what human intelligence has got us today. Then there's God's wisdom. Second part of verse 18, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross of Jesus Christ is the power of God. And in verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's wisdom. Of course, there is no foolishness of God. God is not weak. He's, he's making a point, he's exaggerating that. Man, God's wisdom is so much wiser than anything man can come up with. Where's your scholars? Where's your philosophers? God's strength is so much stronger than anything you got. He's talking about God, God's wisdom. See, the other lens through which we see the world is called a biblical worldview. And this worldview starts with the belief that there is a God who created the world. And if God is involved in the creation of the world, then, then they believe they have a purpose. And God has entered the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has revealed himself through the word, the Bible. And in his Bible, his love letter to us, he gives us a standard, an unwavering standard of truth, you know, in the word of God. And a person with this biblical worldview realizes that we're all sinners in need of what Jesus Christ can provide. 
And then in verses there in 26 and on, Paul asked the church to look at himself and look at themselves. And he's not making fun of the church, but he's saying, hey, look at you guys. From 26 on to verse 31, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you, not many of you guys had noble births. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He's not insulting the church. He's making a point. He said, God always reaches out to common folk, those who really have common sense and realize, just look around, open your eyes. There's a God. There's a creator. Those who are humble and realize that they are weak on their own, that we need God. You know, God requires that we come to him with humility and that be willing to be led by him. God wants us to boast in him, not in ourselves. So how do we get this wisdom? Here's some principles here. First, ask for it. God says, ask for it. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God, or give generously to it. You wanna see things from God's perspective, respond to life from God's perspective, ask for it. Read God's word because that's where you're gonna learn it. You learn the truth. You're able to discern what is false by learning what is true. You got to read God's word. Proverbs talks about that for attaining wisdom and discipline and understanding and words of insight for doing what is right and just and fair. It comes from God's word and don't just read it, do what it says. There, there, Proverbs 7, store up my commands, keep my commands and you will live. Keep, that means do. We gotta turn from the world and we gotta turn to the word. And you wanna get wisdom, you gotta get the wisdom, you get to know the wisdom giver and that's God, get to know God. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Develop a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that word fear means reverence, trust, respect, Ah, because he is the creator of the universe. I have a holy fear and respect and reverence for God, which means what he says, that's the final say so. I take God seriously. Concern yourself with God's agenda. It's foolish to try to live your life ignoring the one who made you. And so many people are doing that. Knowing God means much more than just knowing facts about God. If you wanna know God, you must know Jesus. Jesus even said that there in John chapter eight. If you wanna, you wanna know me, if you know me, you know my father, you know? So we see human wisdom is a mess and we're a mess. We see God's wisdom is so much wiser and stronger than anything we could ever come up with. And we see Jesus is God's wisdom. He explains that to the rest of the chapter in chapter two. And we see that here in chapter tw verse 24, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we see in verse 30, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. He's the one that makes us right with God and holy and redeems us. He's the wisdom of God. Chapter two, verse one through five. I'm not gonna read all of it here because of time, but I have that, that, that scripture is written right here in front of my Bible. I, write, I just wrote it with a pen years and years ago because I get nervous being up here, I do. And so I, I always read that before I, I come up, even on Saturday night, I, I resolve to know nothing while I'm with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified because I come to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message, my preaching is not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might rest on, not on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Of course, I did read it, so I won't. but you know, that's just, that means so much to me, God's wisdom. Basically, Paul is saying to those who turn to Jesus Christ and, and embrace the message of the cross, they gain a new perspective on life. They start to see things from God's point of view. There, there's no changing standard of truth. It's unchanging. It's an anchor we can build our lives on. And we have seen and we are witnessing firsthand the foolishness of man's wisdom. There's problems everywhere and they're not getting better. 
You're not going to solve the problems of the world until you first deal with people's souls. Because people's souls, their hearts, determine their action. And you can't legislate change. You can't force people to love or to be nice to each other. You need a heart change. That's why we love sharing Jesus Christ. He changes hearts. And when you have Jesus in your heart, it gives you a new perspective. Jesus does all that. That's why Jesus is God's wisdom. He's God's power. When Jesus died on the cross, man, he he cured our biggest problems. Man's problems, I mean, man's wisdom has caused many of the problems today. Worthlessness, powerlessness, loneliness, aimlessness, restlessness. And God's wisdom, Jesus Christ, is the cure for all that. Because of what he did on the cross, he's cured our biggest problems. Look at it. Replacement. That means Jesus took my place. That means I'm valuable. That means Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He, he paid the price for my sins. And when I accept Jesus Christ as my replacement, my substitute, my savior, I'm forgiven. No more shame, no more guilt. You're not worthless. You are valuable. Redemption. Jesus bought my freedom. We see that in Ephesians there. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom of from purposelessness, we now have a purpose. We're, we're free from the fear of death. When we accept Jesus Christ into our life and follow him, the Bible says we have been redeemed, we have been set free. You are no longer powerlessness. You, know, you no longer have to feel powerless. You are capable, you're a child of God. Reconciliation, Jesus restored my relationship with God, which means I'm forgiven, I'm forgivable. Reconciliation is the process of bringing two parties together who are separated. Jesus became the mediator. He's on the one side and he's very holy and just. We're on the other side and we're sinners. But because of Jesus Christ and my faith and trust in him, I can be reconciled with God. I'm now a child of God. I can have direct fellowship with God. I can come directly to God. I am no longer lonely. I'm family and I'm forgivable. Rebirth, Jesus came to give you a new identity because you're lovable. I mean, you're you're lovable. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The change that Christ offers us is so radical and profound that the Bible calls it becoming a new person, a new birth, a new beginning. Therefore, those are in Christ, right? The old is gone, the new has come. And that means the moment that you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, there's a spiritual transformation in your heart and God gives you a new nature. Christ now lives in you and he changes everything. You know where you came from. You know what you're to be about. You know where you're going. You're no longer aimless. You have a purpose now because you're lovable. Repudiation, that, that word means nullify, to renounce, to reverse. Jesus defeated death and the devil repudiated him, nullified him, renounced him, reversed, repealed, and now you're usable. And we see that there in Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives are being held in slavery by the fear of death. One of Satan's biggest tools is fear. He loves to mess up your heart and your mind with worry and stress and anxiety and and, and confusion and the fear of death. You know, don't take me wrong, we grieve and we lose loved ones. Man, we do, we miss them. 
But as believers in Jesus Christ, man, we still have hope because death has no victory for the believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus nullifies, neutralizes Satan's biggest tool, and that's the fear of death. We're now children. When we die, heaven's our eternal home. You don't have to be worried about death. You don't have to be restless. Heaven is your eternal home. And God wants to use you now to make a difference. You're no longer restless trying to figure out things. God's got a purpose for your life. You're usable. Church family, man, that's the greatest news ever. That's why I call the gospel the greatest love story in the universe. Jesus took my punishment. He bought my freedom. He restored my relationship with God, gave me a whole new identity, and he defeated death and Satan. He did the same thing for you. And when you understand what Jesus did, and you put your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you no longer have to feel worthless or powerless or lonely or aimless or restless. The cross of Jesus Christ says, man, you're valuable, you're capable, you're forgivable, lovable, usable. Do you see why now what Paul says to the message of the cross, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. Paul's been saying that those who turn to Jesus Christ for salvation and put their faith and trust in him, all of a sudden they get it. It's like the lights come on. Even as a young boy, like the light had come on. I knew there had to be more life than what I saw. I knew it from what I saw and I knew it inside. It's like the light got turned on in our soul and suddenly life now has direction and purpose. Much of what was confusing suddenly now becomes clear. And the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is no longer foolishness, but it's the power and wisdom of God. As I close, I want you to think about something. Carefully think about how Paul divides all humanity into two classes of people. He started out right there in verse 18. There's those who are being saved, those who are unsaved. There's those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Every person is either on your way to eternal judgment, hell, perishing, or on your way to eternal life. There is no middle ground. There is no waiting room. You know, the difference in one's commitment of where you're going and where you're headed is how you respond to the message of the cross. When you make a commitment to the person and work of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, and that, that, that makes all the difference in the world. You're now saved. You're born again. Heaven's your home. You see why the cross is so important to the apostle Paul. And that's where our focus should be. Human wisdom, philosophies, all that stuff, intelligence is never gonna save a soul. Laws can't save a soul. The gospel message alone can save anyone, anywhere, for it is the power of God. So what group are you in? You know, I, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I just, I care about you. I, I want to make sure, you know, I'm your pastor. God's going to hold me responsible too, you know, for what I share and what I don't share. And, and I believe the word of God is true. And I believe Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And I believe you only get to heaven through him because Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. What group are you in? Are you saved or are you perishing? Where is your eternal home? What do you got to look forward to? Because your soul is going to live somewhere for eternity. Hell or heaven? Church family, it's time to tidy up. It's time to tidy up what you believe about Jesus Christ. You pray with me. If you're here today and you don't have that peace knowing that heaven's your home, man, you need to tidy that up. And if you want heaven as your home, you want forgiveness right now from your heart, you talk to God. He'll listen to you if you mean business with him. 
and you tell him, God, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a sinner just like your word says, forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, the Messiah, who died on the cross for my sins, who rose from the dead. And, and today, this morning, I wanna put my faith and trust in him as the leader of my life, the forgiver of my sin. Father, save me. And I wanna follow him the rest of my life. Help me. Father, I pray you give those that peace, that you heard that prayer, that you answered that prayer, and give them courage to tell somebody, and help us be a church that will walk alongside them and help them know what it means to follow Christ the rest of their life. And Father, I pray for others here. Are there children who've been struggling, gotten off the wrong path? They need to repent and come back home. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you stand with me as we